Hello, hello. Uh, we have here Dan Marner on the first ever inaugural podcast. Uh, I'm here with uh, with Dan Marner of the Defenestration Station um, on the first episode of Cruising Down the Boulevard. It's a uh, working title, so for anyone that has uh, better suggestions for a podcast title, by all means, let me know. Um, my thought was get the podcast down and running, and then we'll figure out the title later. I don't want too much time to go past uh, the draft, so we'll figure that out later. But for everyone in the TPL, we have Dan here. Dan, say hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you for uh, taking some time to listen to me. Roma, thank you for taking some time to talk to me live from D.C. Happy to be here. Dan is currently sitting outside of his bedroom uh, in what is probably nicer weather than we have here in DC in uh, New York. So uh, a little bit jealous of that. Um, but for everyone that knows uh, and kind of has talked to myself and, and Sam Protzman over the last year, I know um, Sam did a fantastic job of doing the, the Protzcast or the Podcast or whatever we called it. Um, I thought it was a great way for everyone to stay involved uh, and connected throughout the baseball season. I thought it was a nice way to bring TPL closer together and uh, just have another fun thing for us to to listen to and to focus on. So I wanted to pick up the baton since uh, Sam has his hands full as commissioner uh, or Don Potts, uh, as we call him. Uh, so figure I would take a couple uh, couple minutes here and talk to Dan about a few things. Um, we've discussed an agenda. I'll, I'll kind of high level go through it and then we'll, we'll kick it off. Does that sound good, Dan? Sounds good to me. Ready to go. All right. So first, uh, first thing I wanted to touch on uh, as a DC fan um, and a believer and uh, kind of follower of Bryce Harper throughout his, uh, his young career, I just want to spend a couple minutes with you talking about how uh, it was at the end of the season, knowing that Bryce was going to be a free agent, how this offseason went with you, and then how the first uh, couple weeks, knowing that he's a Philadelphia Philly in division um, in a lot of rival games, how that's going for you. Absolutely. Um, I think it's great uh, that we're doing this, and I think it's even better that we're kicking it off with a, uh, a real baseball conversation, and maybe not a TPL conversation, because it is all about how much we all love baseball. Um, I am a proud Washington Nationals fan, as all of you listening realize and know. Uh, and this was uh, largely a very impactful offseason for the Washington Nationals. Uh, some good, some bad, um, but it was definitely, uh, you know, not the most enjoyable experience, as I'm sure you can say for really any fan. Uh, and that uh, probably echoed a little louder here in D.C. because it culminated in Bryce Harper signing with our arch rivals and divisional opponents, the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, and I guess uh, to summarize, you know how the, the the hot stove season, as they like to call it, ended for us here. Um, that was definitely a bittersweet taste. Those who those who I get to talk to a lot about the Washington Nationals would know that I've been uh, kind of uh, proselytizing Bryce Harper's departure for about three years now. It's certainly nothing that surprised me, uh, and I think we can still be a competitive team without him. How about that? I, I think that that's fair. Um, I know that. To start the offseason, there was uh, rumors of the Nationals kind of putting the first offer on the table with a pretty uh, pretty nice number out there for 10 years. Um, and them, and then I guess Bryce turned them down and just said, no, I'd, I'd rather hit free agency. Any, um, did you have any hope that you guys would re-sign him uh, at all? Or did you just kind of know in the back of your mind that this was just never going to happen? I think, um, I think hope is not the right word to use for me. I thought it was a possibility. Um, I am... 
pretty pretty dedicated to following this team, and I think um, the ability to find success without Bryce Harper and maybe nominate someone new is an interesting opportunity. Maybe not necessarily the best uh, scenario, but I think that's where we find ourselves. So I always thought there was a possibility that we brought him back, but I always welcomed the idea of not having him back. And do you think that that someone else, kind of the, the money that you spent otherwise on uh, someone like Patrick Corbin, do you think that's a, that's going to be a big piece for your team? It's a great question. I, I definitely think if you, uh, I think it would be fair to admit that uh, in Patrick Corbin out Bryce Harper is probably a net loss, but he also didn't cost us as much. Uh, he was willing to take uh, a massively deferred deal like all of our top three starters that form, I would argue, the strongest top three in Major League Baseball. I, w- I would say that's that's probably spot on. I appreciate you agreeing with that, and uh, you know we'll we'll see. If I, uh, both Chris and I, Chris Hansen in this case, would echo that the, the number one priority right now in terms of our financial matters is extending Anthony Rendon. Yeah, uh, and if we can get that done, and you're telling me that you know feasibly some of that money came from what would have gone towards Bryce, I'll be a happy camper. Give me a sense, uh, just using uh, dollars and cents here. Uh, what do you think? A and this is completely. Um, Completely out of the blue. I did not warn you about this, but um, what do you think an extension for Rendon looks like? Sure. Um, so if we could get, kind of, what did Arenado sign for? Was it eight and? Oh God. Two, two forty. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm okay. Let me try and just shoot from the hip here without yep. looking at numbers in front of me. I think it will be north of two hundred and for you know six, seven years, eight years, eight years maybe. Yeah, I, I think you know, that's maybe, fair. Maybe 240, I don't know, 230. If it could clock in around there, like that's expensive, but I'm willing to pay for it. He is, he is very consistent and reliable production. I know he's nowhere near as flashy as Bryce Harper, and I'm not trying to suggest that he is, but he is a reliable player. Like the league in doubles last year, like that's, you know, I, I like him a lot. I yeah. like Anthony Rendon a lot, and I'm hoping my team shells out for him. I, I, would, I would feel the same way, and as someone, uh, as a Yankee fan who potentially might see their third baseman out for at least some time, potentially the full season. Uh, I, I'm hoping that we somehow find ourselves in a scenario where you don't extend him and the Yankees could potentially take a look at him. Uh, and it looks like Arenado, I just pulled it up, eight years, 260 when it's all said and yeah. done. So you're, you're, you're coming in a little bit lighter than that. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think that's the price of doing business with someone like Anthony Rendon at this point, just with what some of his most direct peers signed for. Um, but but if that's where the, the Harper money gets allocated, having Anthony Rendon for a long time through hopefully what is the prime of his career and Patrick Corbin for a number of years, I'm happy with that. Okay, that's fair. Um, so given that we are uh, with what I would say some people would uh, would term, and maybe there's a little bit of debate on this, uh, but given all of the draft capital that you had going into this year, given that you, I think, were, most people would agree, one of the favorites going into the year, um, tell us, walk us a little bit through the offseason in terms of uh, staying prepared on uh, on baseball. Were you listening to podcasts? Were you reading articles? Uh, just kind of watching Fall League or something like that. Um, talk us through your, your preparation for, uh, for the draft and your draft strategy uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I definitely have touched on this this before. It's certainly my last uh, podcast for the league, the podcast as it is called, uh, and it's it, I basically come to the culmination of a of a very long con here. 
Uh, and the hope was, you know, I'd started the foundation of the scheme a long time ago. And so while last season wasn't really a traditional season for me in the sense that I was competing for necessarily the same goals as someone who was coming in first or second, um, it was a very active season for me. And it's been two active off seasons consistently for me because I've been trying to, like you said, just stockpile a lot of that draft capital and assets. And um, the final touches of that project didn't come to fruition until really right before the draft. I made a couple of really large moves acquiring keepers and higher draft picks right kind of at the 10th and 11th hour. And um, I was happy with the way it came together heading into the draft. And did you did you have, just speaking of those offseason moves at the uh, 10th and 11th hour, did you have someone like Trevor Story on your radar or were you just – feeling out people that I, maybe I did didn't have Trevor story on my radar. Um, I had him and Bauer as kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I had a, a term for them when I was trying to isolate on these types of keepers. I call them, they're just stud keepers. And so they don't really have any long-term value, but it's ensuring that you get a piece of that kind of like stud pie. When you, when you come away from the draft, and you're just like, okay, these guys I can really bang on to give me production. Um, him and Bauer kind of stuck out. I went for a uh, story because, in the end, in the end, I don't really like keeping pitchers too much. I'm kind of someone who errs on the side of keeping more hitters. Yep, I, I definitely don't know what you're talking about there. And, and yeah, okay, that checks out certainly. <laughs> and uh, but no, no, I mean obviously there are always different ways to approach the draft. But um, that was, you know, the the story keeper was kind of necessary because I did spend a while just trying to get get enough talent across last year to trade for pieces like Hoskins. Uh, and Bregman earlier and, and, and things like that. And so it, it, heading into the draft, I felt I had done really over the course of like a year, year and a half, as much as I could to, to put myself in a better situation for this year. And ideally the best situation I could be heading into the draft for this year. And clearly that's a strategy that um, I, I'd say the two front runners um, found themselves employing with Sam trading for not only Trout, but also um, uh the other person that you were discussing, Trevor Bauer, who actually um, had seven no-hit no innings as of uh, like 10, 15 minutes ago. And my understanding is that he got pulled. Um, so definitely, definitely topical there. Uh, so talk a little bit about your, um, your draft strategy, knowing that you had now picked up a decent amount of keepers, both in value in terms of actual production, um, knowing that you had kind of a heavier set of hitters, Walk us through your draft strategy in terms of what you expected to happen and how it actually played out. Yeah, sure. So I had I had the first round mapped out pretty well in my mind. Um, I I'd run a lot of little different mocks just seeing who could go in the first round because I, I you know you'll hear I think Max is one of the, the forerunners in, in talking about how valuable those first round picks are in terms of just hitting on players and how often they hit. So I really wanted to have a concrete strategy as to what I was going to come away from the first round in particular with and just kind of build from there. And I'd gotten it to the point where, with my three picks, they were originally five, nine, and 12. I was coming away, I picked five because I wanted to guarantee myself either Chris Sale, Matt Scherzer, in the other order, in fact, uh, Mike Trout, obviously going first, but anyway, Mike Trout, JDM, or Bryce Harper. Uh, those were my top five players. I wanted a blue chip pitcher or a blue chip outfielder. And I realized if I could, and, and I was willing to kind of get creative. So if both pitchers went ahead of me, I would take Bryce or JDM, whoever was there. Uh, and if it was the other way around and I got a pitcher, I'd get maybe Yelich or someone else at the nine pick. Um, and the more I got to thinking about it, I just liked the idea of going 
with getting Sale and getting one of those outfielders instead of downgrading the pitcher to Verlander. And then with the 12th at that point, if I got my outfielder and my pitcher, I could just take the best player available, and I thought Freddie Freeman was that. That's fair. And did you did you kind of know coming out of the first um, you were going to do two bats and an and a arm, or did you have any scenarios yes, in which yes. you... No, no, no. It was always going to be two bats and an arm. Um, and whether that was filling a position with the 12th or the 5th, it kind of rotated on whether I was getting Chris Sale or Justin Verlander. Because I was going, I was prepared to reach for Justin Verlander if I had to at nine, just to get one of. I had him and Sale and Max uh, significantly ahead of the other arms available, just on my chart. And mm-hmm. uh, I just felt this was the best way forward. And obviously, Sale has been a little worrisome uh, out of the gates, uh, but but that was the that was the strategy then. Understood. And you you mentioned a little bit about your charts. It's something that. Uh... That you and I talked about on our on our hike when we were in uh, in Arizona. That was a fantastic hike. Um, to the extent that you're comfortable, uh, can you tell the the listeners and the other TPL members just high level what your what your charts look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of readily admit that I am not uh, the most savvy uh, league manager, general manager when it comes to uh, numerical statistics and kind of generating my own models and stuff. So, so the way I create my sheet is fairly rudimentary, but um, we were discussing it, as you said, on that hike, and I, I've isolated on certain certain projections, just publicly available projections, um, that I think do better forecasting certain production from certain types of players, so starting pitchers or relief pitchers, infielders or outfielders, things like that. I've weighted them accordingly. I've been kind of building on this since I, since I joined the league. I just work off a single Excel spreadsheet with a couple different tabs, and uh, and I just aggregate them together based on how well they've done in the past projecting certain types of statistics. I, I think that that's, uh, that's pretty fair. Um, and has that been an evolving process, I guess, over the last couple of years? Obviously, I've gotten better at putting it together. Um, and I think, um, you know, you asked me a little bit earlier how, how I stay in touch in the offseason. And I'll, I'll generate a fresh copy of what my list looks like maybe once or twice in the offseason, although not even when. Uh, we're necessarily submitting keepers, but a little earlier than that. Got it. All right. Well, that's uh, that's good to know. Now, um, back to back to the draft. So you you leave the first round with a um, a pretty awesome set of uh, of players in addition to your five already very good keepers. Um, and unlike Chris last year, uh, that had a lot of first round picks, you didn't have a lot of second and third round picks. So you kind of went back to a little bit of a waiting game. Um, before you had kind of the rest of your picks in four uh, and then a bunch in ten. So walk us through the next couple of rounds in terms of what your thought process was. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'll say coming out of the first round, I got a little spooked. Um, I, I didn't really understand why Manny Machado was still there. I think Sean got him at an incredible price. Um, and I wanted to get one of the top three first basemen, whether it was Goldschmidt, Freeman, or Rizzo. I wanted one of them. Uh, Goldschmidt went early uh, to you. Uh, and so I was kind of a little panicky there. I didn't know whether I should get my first baseman now, but I, I wish I had taken Manny Machado in that last first-round pick, knowing that I would get Rizzo later. Um, but Rizzo was a best-bat situation. I had invested on a pitcher much much earlier than, I, than I, I think I would typically be willing to with the team setup I have here, taking one at five overall. So it was I was taking best-bat available there, and I had Anthony Rizzo as uh, a pretty high. I had a pretty high. I think I got him a couple picks late, if anything. I think that that's fair. I actually, um, I I had a similar thought process, um, knowing that I had uh, a pick in the first and then two picks early in the second. I did a couple projections in terms of 
um, thinking through what the various scenarios were in terms of picking eighth overall and then 15 and 16 overall. Uh, and my thought was I was, I knew that I would have one of Machado or Lindor available to me. Um, and then I, I knew that I actually knew, um, and, and I know that Sam was upset about this, but, and I, I spoke with Chris, uh, Crisali, uh, a few days before the draft and I kind of let him know that I, I, I knew right off the bat that I was going to take a pitcher with one of my picks in the second round. So my, my thought process was at that point to either reach for knowing I was going to take a pitcher, either find the best combination of first baseman and shortstop. Um, and in my mind, I knew that if I took Machado, uh, in the first round, it was unlikely that the first baseman were going to fall to me in the early second, but I, I thought I had a better chance if I reached on Goldschmidt and reach, I mean, by only a few, uh, a few picks, it was more likely that a stud shortstop was going to come back to me. So, uh, I'm happy to hear that my, my strategy threw you off a little bit. It did. It did. And, and it had a ripple effect too, because I think you might have sparked a pitching run as well because I, I was pretty set on going best bat in second and then best pitcher in third. Um, and right after you took Carrasco, which I think you got Lindor. If you reached on Goldschmidt, I think you got a great price for Lindor and Carrasco. And then after that, it was Clevenger, uh, Strasburg, a Wilson favorite. Love to see that. And then Kershaw and Paxton. I really wanted Paxton. Uh, Weeks fucking snipe me, the fucking new guy. Snipe me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Big Maple. I really liked him, but uh, getting I, I, Daniel Murphy was was highlighted. I think I think I got him a little, maybe a little early, and the injury is fucking killing me. Uh, but but I did like that Murphy pick in in light of not being able to take Paxton because I had the next set of pitchers a little a little, little further behind. Got it, got it. Um, all right. Well, um, I won't I won't make you go through um, each individual round. So maybe what I'll do right now is uh, and apologies, my uh, there we go. Um, what maybe what I'll do right now is just go through your team, uh, kind of the next three or four rounds, and maybe just pick one player on there that you particularly liked or thought was uh, kind of had an interesting story behind it. But I'll I'll go to you mentioned your third round pick, but your fourth, your fourth, your fifth, your sixth, and your seventh was Granky, Story, Grandal, uh, Upton, and Edwin Diaz. Any one of those in particular? Actually, no, Trevor, you kept so just yeah. Granky, Grandal, Upton, Diaz. Anyone there that you, you want to comment on? There certainly is. I loved where I got Edwin Diaz. Um, I think our league as a whole is devaluing um, relief pitchers more and more uh, each year. Um, but when you look at last year, I think the first relief pitcher went somewhere in like the third round, and I ended up taking the first one. Well, actually, it wasn't the first one. It was the second one, I believe. I think Roberto Azuna went before it. But I think I got the best one, and to have him in the seventh round, I was really happy with. Yeah, I, I generally agree. I, I was... I have um, a strategy where I've, I've certainly devalued relievers, at least for the last two years. Uh, we'll see if that changes or not. Uh, but it was looking in the ninth and 10th round and seeing all of these uh, very good relievers still on the board, um, I was tempted to kind of jump in. And I actually, Trinan had fallen too much for me to kind of completely pass on him. So, um, you know, the market definitely softened. And for anyone that was looking to get stud relievers, they were able to do so at a much lower price than I'm sure they anticipated. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. So let's uh, let's move on to the the next couple picks here. Um, Snell, you kept. Let's. Uh, it looks like you had a little little pitcher run here. Let's go through um, Quintana, Jensen, Fran Mel Reyes, Hyunjun Ryu, 
Kenta Maeda, Rich Hill, just back to back to back. Oh, and then, uh, yeah, and then you, you got Rich Hill. So back to back to back, Dodgers pitchers. Um, and I had some comments about that at the time. So far, it seems to be working out pretty well. Um, so walk us through walk us through your pitching run there. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, specifically, I think two things to touch on this part of the draft. Obviously, the Dodgers pitchers, that was a strategy I wanted to pursue. I was actually hoping to get uh, four of them. I wanted Urias as well. Um, obviously, Bueller kept Kershaw very expensive, but I thought the combination of Ryan Maida, Hill, and Urias was an interesting idea to, to really round out uh, not only innings around, but also pretty good ratios. Um, so I liked that strategy. I actually took a smoke break mid-draft and told Sam when I was about to put the finishing touches on it. So that was a cool thing to see unfold three rounds in a row. And then the other pick I am really excited about is Framiel Reyes. Um, I think some people had suggested that I took him early, but he is uh, certainly someone that's been getting a lot of attention uh, coming into draft season. A lot of people have been talking up his power potential. I am a true believer. I think he, he could ceiling is legitimately 69 home runs in a season. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm v- very excited for him. That's that's a lot of home runs for uh, for Fran Mel Reyes. Uh, I'm I am currently looking up Fran Mel Reyes' strikeout rate because I'm just as someone that also had an eye on Fran Mel Reyes, as knowing that I was going to need power. Um, I think the certainly the upside is there. Um, and actually, let's see. Last season he had a 28 percent strikeout rate. I mean it's it's not great, but it's also I've certainly seen worse. So uh, hoping he works out for you there. I do too, uh, Fran Millie, or Fran Millionaire, uh, whichever you prefer. High hopes for him. All right, all right. Well, let's. Uh, there's a couple keepers here thrown in, so let's just go from um, kind of your 13th round. Uh, and let's just take it through the end of the draft. You had Will Smith, then kept Alex Bregman, Reese Hoskins, Victor Robles, and then went John Lester, who I hated, but so far is off to a good start. Miguel Sano, Sin Chu Chu. Uh, Juris Familia, and then Keston Hiora. Yeah, I'm, I would like to dedicate some time to uh, two other players in this group as well. One, John Lester, uh, which was a very uh, controversial pick. It seems I, I caught a lot of flack for taking John Lester in the 22nd, and, and uh, I, I was actually looking forward to the opportunity to defend that pick once we've now now that, now that this draft is, is fully behind us. Um, we play in a league where innings pitched is not only something that leads to other stats of the longer pitchers in the game, hopefully more strikeouts and quality starts. Innings pitched is a scored category in our league. And John Lester, while he is not even a shell of the pitcher that he once was, has a reliable role across the year. Uh, He'll get me quality starts. They'll leave him in for uh, late into games. He's notorious for getting super pissed off about getting taken out early. Uh, The Cubs owe him a lot of money. They're going to be playing him deep in the games. And I think... In the 22nd round, I caught so much flack for that pick, but very, very excited for John Lester. And you can see from his first two quality starts that I was at least on to something there. The last pick of the draft, Keston Hira, is the other one I'm very excited about. I uh, Hey, look, I wanted to get a prospect. We're expanding our minor league system. I figured I'd give that some love. I thought I, I, there were a lot of minor league players that were taken in the major league draft. I thought I got Keston at a great price. I think he would have probably gone first or second overall in the minor league draft, and I got him in the twenty sixth round. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think the league that we play in and and um, the fantasy community as a whole is probably very um, much more ageist than I'd say um, the rest of baseball. And maybe the owners are now starting to become a little bit more ageist as they don't really want to sign older players um, to longer deals. I think basically people's concern with Lester is that. 
he's shown a lot of signs that he might be kind of at the um, the very end of his rope and the decline could be precipitous. But thus far, that has not been the case. So hopefully um, hopefully that works I, out for you as well. I plenty of credence to that argument. I really do. But again, I got him as a 22nd. Come on. I, I hear you. I hear you. I was one of the uh, the biggest attractors just because I, I was piling on at that point because I was looking at your pitching staff as a whole, um, and I didn't see a lot that impressed me. But at the end of the day, your pitching staff is doing much better than my pitching staff right now, so I have absolutely zero room to talk. I actually, my pitching staff is doing much better than everybody's pitching staff. I would say my offense is hilariously malfunctioning out of the gate. I drafted heavily for bats, and I am sitting in 10th place right now. Isn't it ironic how that works uh, early in the season? I I passed on holds, guys, and was uh, shamed for having almost no power on my team, and my pitching staff was good, though. And yet, here I sit. I think I'm tied or one away from the league lead in home runs. Um, I'm hold in safe holds. I might be second or third. Um, and yet, my ERA and WHIP and QS percentages are... Are hilariously bad, so I think that's a pretty ironic place that we both find ourselves in. Small sample size, it's crazy stuff. Yep. All right, so um, that's that's kind of your draft, uh, and we did this a bit while we were um, kind of sitting in the afterglow of the draft in Arizona, uh, and a few people were privy to this conversation as you were standing by the draft board and walking through the teams. Um, I thought it was a pretty fun thing to uh to hear just your take on everyone else's draft so i figured we'd go through the draft uh kind of team by team obviously not in the same depth that we just went through your draft with um but just start kind of going through team by team and just walking through your overall uh takeaways uh your favorite pick of that person's draft and your least favorite pick of that person's draft um and we'll be using uh, tracks draft results right now. So just just in order, let's start with um, with Akuna Matata. Um, I'm sure you have uh, his draft pulled up. Do you want to just give us your overall sense? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I think Sam had a pretty strong draft. I think he's he prepares more so than most people in our league. So that's always reflected in, in the outcome here. Um, I do think, especially with his ability to end up with Trout and five keepers, he obviously pursued my uh, my patented. Uh, I'm patenting the name Patent Pennington stud, stud keeper strategy. I like Bauer a lot. I told him that when he pulled off the trade. And ultimately, I think we'll, we'll work on that. That'll be a working title for your patent as well, just like the uh, working title for the yeah. actual podcast. Uh, but yeah, I'd like a punnier name, but stud keeper working title. Um, I think he had the strongest set of keepers coming in. Gave him a lot of flexibility. Um, my favorite pick of his draft. My favorite pick of his draft. That is a good question. I like Chris Davis in the second. I thought he that, that's a reliable power bat. He got him 18th overall. If there's any shot that he gets outfield eligibility, does he have it already? If there's any shot he does get outfield eligibility, that would make that a pretty strong pick overall for me. I don't think I don't know if he has it right now. I don't. I will outside, double. I don't think he outside, does, but I'll double check. Outside of that, I think um, I think where Sam really shines through, and this reflects back to his preparations. He took a lot of players um, that I think have like they they shown strong potential in various part assets of their game facets of their game, excuse me. Um, some I liked where he got Chris Paddock a lot. He's shown a lot of potential early on. I, I thought he got a good price for Andrew Heaney. That injury got a little worse. Um, but he, he, he drafted some exciting players that definitely have room to grow, and I think that's going to be cool for him to see if they do pan out. I also thought he got a great price for Randall Gritchick. Randy, Randers. Randy. My least, my least favorite pick for him, I, uh, 
I will say, as I alluded to earlier, I devalue pitching. I thought Kershaw, where he got him, when it happened, I thought the injury was a worse outcome. So I told him at the draft that I wasn't thrilled with the price that he got, but now the injury looks like it might be less than that. So that was good. The one I gave him a good amount of shit for was Pedro Strop. Uh, Sam knows this. I think he can attest to that. I, I didn't like where he got Pedro Strop. I thought he's, it's a temporary role with Brandon Morrow, and I thought – in terms of relievers, if you're going to wait till the 13th to get a reliever like that, just keep waiting. It's, it's not worth it there. I, I would largely agree with you on that. Uh, confirming that Chris Davis only has a util spot, um, so not picking up eligibility just yet. I also agree I that the— I don't the, know if he'll get it. I, I don't think he will either. Um, it kind of sounds—you know who's an exciting uh, outfielder in, in Oakland right now? Someone who's been throwing out a bunch of Boston Red Sox, and that's uh, Ramon Lariano. That was the guy I was looking at. Yeah, uh, Max Max sniped that for me, um, and you know, Max. I, I expect nothing less from Max during the draft, uh, but I like that pick a lot. That was a fun one. Perhaps yeah, speed potential. I I agree. Um, I'm looking at at uh, at Sam's team, and I I actually um, there's certainly a lot to like here, especially with the keepers. Um, I think I I think Sam had mentioned to me that the Chris Davis pick, um, because he had expected Cookie Carrasco at that spot. Um, was a he kind of made a, a rush decision. I think he's he's very happy with that now. I believe Crush has something like five home runs already um, to start the young season. So that's ter- turning out to go to be going pretty well. Um, Kershaw, who knows? I, I certainly he's a stud pitcher when he's healthy, but uh, I think there's a ton of risk there. Um, I actually think my least favorite uh, pick of his was Miggy. Um, I think having. Having the stud first baseman kind of go early, um, there's there were a lot of first basemen that had a lot of potential upside. Um, I think Miggy on that offense is just it's he's not going to do much for you, and also has the potential to get uh, injured. So that's that's probably my least favorite pick of his. But overall, obviously very strong draft. Um, Akuna Matata right up there with the defenestration station as a a favorite going into the year. Um, <coughs> so from a <clears throat> Excuse me. From a favorite going into the year, uh, let's talk about uh, the next team who I think is at least going into the draft and into the season was probably a favorite to be near the bottom of the league. Uh, but I believe right now he finds himself in first place of the TPL, and that's uh, BC four ninety one, Mister Chris Crisali. Yeah, I honestly I gotta say for someone who is who's kind of was was projected as limping into the season. I, I genuinely think there's a case to be made that he had one of the strongest drafts of the league. Not necessarily from the overall talent he's going to get across the season, but the types of players he was able to identify. I think he got a lot of fun players. And when you look at Sam's team and you were giving him criticisms for, for Mickey, and I actually like uh, a bounce-back year for Mickey. I thought he got him a little high, but I, I, I'm okay on the Mickey pick. But when you look at Luke Voigt in the 15th right next to it, directly across from it on this page, Wow. Love that pick. I thought taking Pete Alonso in the 12th is obviously aggressive. No one would argue that. But he's an exciting player. So even if Chris gets a one or two years out of keeping him, maybe maybe one or two less, I should say, he's an exciting player. I thought he jumped for the right type of people early in the draft, getting a lot of flashier rookie types. And then he rounded it out. Like, at the back end of his draft, he got a lot of great veteran talent. Adam Odovino, Dylan Batances, those are two relievers that could easily pick up a ton of save holds, and those turn into valuable assets for him. He could trade those and, and start building his team back even quicker. Ryan Braun, John Ho Kang, a fellow DUI type of guy with me. I, I love <laughs> I'm, 
I am infatuated with Chris's team, and I don't want you to ask me to, to pick a least favorite player on this team. That I said this in Arizona. I think he fucking crushed it. For someone who tried to do this the year before, he had worse picks than me, and he did better than me. I, I, I would very much agree. I think um, Pete Alonso, especially given the way that he started the season, seems like a fantastic pick in the 12th round. Um, I, you know me, I love Luke Voigt. Um, I was trying pretty hard to trade him to Chris in the offseason uh, because I wanted to make sure that someone between me, Todd, and Chris would have, uh, have Luke all to themselves uh, as Yankee fans if and when he broke out. Um, I, just, I, didn't, I didn't really want to live in a world where Luke Voigt had an unbelievable season and he was on like Max's team and Max just got to rub it in my face for the whole season. That just, that wasn't something I was really into. Um, That's my nightmare. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so looking at his team right now, and I don't think I noticed this, uh, I knew he had a lot of Yankees, but he also has a lot of Mets, a lot of hometown, sure a lot of hometown bias here between Alonzo, Rosario, Luke Voigt, Severino, Wheeler, Aaron Hicks, who hasn't played yet. Um, who else? Former Yankee, great Mikel, uh, Michael Pineda, um, Adovino, Batances, just a lot of uh, New York and AL East guys. Yeah, clearly in a New York state of mind. I love it. I love this team. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, moving on to uh, our, our fellow player, Boondock Saints, uh, Mr. Ryan O'Farrell. Uh, do you want to take a minute and walk through his team? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was I was actively hoping uh, that Jose Altuve would fall to my 12th overall pick, thus satisfying stud second baseman, source of stolen bases. This kind of rippled throughout my draft because I was hoping to be able to get a, a top-tier uh, steals talent with one of my higher picks. Ryan sent a ripple. I thought Jose Altuve at 10 uh, might have got, got some slanted looks from some people in the room. I loved that pick. I thought it was a great way to set the tone locks down a position that is shallow if you're not keeping one, and gives him stolen bases, which are rarer than ever. I loved his first overall pick, and then I think uh, Garrett Cole was a reach at 14 on my sheet. However, he got himself a stud pitcher, and then he backed it up with, with Talon, and um, I, he started the draft off well. I think um, in terms of the middle of his draft, it didn't go so well for me. I thought he kind of reached on, on Hosmer and Keuchel and Arietta, kind of that section, I didn't really like as much. But I thought he set the tone early really well. And I think Ryan does come into the season as one of the favorites this year. I think the move for Mookie was aggressive, but obviously it's a great price for Mookie. It's a stud keeper. Again, I like that strategy. Um, in terms of late-round picks, I'm looking at it. Uh, you know, Jock, that's panning out really well. I didn't like it at the draft, but Jock is panning out, so... Um, I don't want to be too critical of these. Mikel Franco also panning out. So yeah, Mikel Franco, I think, has like three or four homers already. The draft, but, but Ryan's team is making me eat some crow. Yeah, uh, and certainly it seems like he's uh, he's pushing his chips into the middle of the table and wants to be a participant in this race uh, for 2019. Um, and I I love that. I love to see people kind of uh, putting a, a foot in and 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 saying I'm I'm gonna try to go for it. Uh, so I think that's a fantastic move. Um, I think his draft went uh, went pretty well, honestly. I, I, I agree with you. I think I love that he took Altuve uh, at 10 because my fear was that Altuve was going to fall to you at 12, um, and I did not want you to have Altuve uh, because you can't have nice things. Um, I love Garrett Cole at 14. I would have had I would have preferred Cole over Carrasco wh where I got him, so um, he just took took the one that I preferred, but I'm also happy with Carrasco. Overall, certainly a lot of players with, with upside. I agree. I think the weakest part of the draft 
um, was after he took Hayter uh, in the 10 through 12th round-ish. Um, but yeah. Um, all right, moving on to what I is now becoming easily my favorite team name, um, especially because he's embraced it so much. Uh, eat, sleep, scooter, repeat. Um, let's just let's take a second and walk through his draft. Absolutely. Uh, I think I think Scooter put up a strong effort here. I liked. I think some people would have, uh, and I said this about Ryan's team, but Justin Verlander at nine. I said it earlier in this very podcast, I was comfortable taking Justin Verlander at nine. Um, that is something I discussed with Scooter after after the draft. I was kind of walking him through why I made the trade that we did, and I thought he ended up with a player that on my sheet I think it was very imperative to reach on the top pitchers this year. I think people that weren't keeping very good ones needed to do it. And he backed it up with Clevenger in the second. Now, I think that was a reach. I do. But he's doing so well. But he's doing incredibly. I need to note that as well. No, I want to be open and honest. These are these are hot takes right after the draft. Uh, fresh takes, I should say. And I, and I want to prove which of my hot takes were right and wrong. Clevenger, I thought that was a huge reach, and he looks incredible. Some other picks I like from Scooter. I love Bieber. I love Bieber, and I love seeing Scooter get two Indians. That's very cool um, in terms of the arms. And then outside of that, um, he got some players that I think really shine through in OBP leagues as well. He got Cervelli, uh, which I liked a lot. Um, and then, of course, Carlos Santana, OBP, OBP. Absolutely. I was going to say Jesus Lizardo was a pick uh, that I was excited about. Didn't really pan out well uh, going in the 15th, already gone. I loved the pick at the time. It was a reach, but I loved it. Uh, and I, I, would, I would almost challenge Scooter to explain why he has left his team so early. That's fair enough. Uh, I think that Scooter has a lot of players that, that I was eyeing uh, this offseason. I, I loved Clevenger. Uh, Tommy Pham I was excited about. Masahiro was kind of one of my, um, m- not mid, but l- kind of mid-single-digit round targets. Uh, Shane Bieber, I think he... I thought he was going to go way lower than that, but I, I can understand uh, that with the hype. Mazzara, another player with a ton of upside. So I, I'm very much uh, am here for Scooter's team, uh, and I think his, he went from not having uh, any pitching keepers to a pretty decent um, pitching staff with uh, Verlander, Clevenger, uh, Price, Tanaka, Bieber. I think that that's a pretty good start to a to a pitching staff, especially given how thin pitching seems this year. Um, so let's let's move over to the ranch. Let's uh, take a minute and walk through La Potencia Ranch. Mr. Max Sabert, um, I think he, he will, I'm sure, uh, when I have him on the podcast, talk a little bit about his strategy, but he's, a, he's an analytics guy as well. Uh, walk us through his draft. Yeah, I think uh, Max certainly had the most front-loaded draft. Maybe I had the most first-round picks, but, but Max had a ton of draft capital himself. And I think, honestly, I think we were kind of pursuing a lot of the same types of players in the same types of positions. You see him going outfielder and, and starting pitcher. I think Harper at six is great. I would have taken Harper at four or five, personally, so that's a small victory. Nola coming around in the second. Love that pick. And then he starts filling out some premium positions, um, you know, getting Xander there. I was eh, maybe a little lower on Xander, but he is a good 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 premium shortstop. I like that a lot. He got himself a brave pretty cheap. I think um, Propsman is one of the people that really likes to tout how consistent Jose Abreu could be. I liked him in the fourth round um, given that I don't really expect much of a drop off from him this year. Um, he got catcher shortly after me, Buffalo Ramos. I love that pick. It, it's a ton of high level picks or high end picks and he, and he managed to fill out most of the starting lineup before he even got to double digits. What do you think of uh, Byron Buxton in the seventh round? It was a reach. 
It was a reach, but it, but I get what he's doing. I mean, he had so so many draft picks that he could kind of make a, a reach on a on a post hype sleeper like that. And and honestly, just I mean, almost I've I've reams of tapes of, of people who have previously owned Byron Buxton uh, t- telling me how much potential he has, and I've never really not bought into it. I think he is a talented player. He just hasn't been able to put it together. Is it a reach? I think Moncada and Buxton in the seventh and the eighth could be called a reach, but I see what he's doing, and either of those guys could easily hit it to fucking go on a tear. I love speed that. and power again. Yeah, I love that um, he's been on alert for any time that Moncada has been uh, has been walking, trying to get that OBP up, and if uh, if he can stop striking out as much as he does and start taking some walks, he certainly has the potential to be a uh, a pretty good player. And he was, you also have to factor in, Max was drafting from the front, so as people were putting names on the chart, that was a cool thing to see. And Max's list was almost, it was longer than everybody's the whole draft. And so he was taking some of these positions for the first time, but whereas Yon Mankata, yeah, he was drafted in the eighth round, but, you know, that was Max's 12th player or whatever, I'm not counting exactly, but he was yeah. drafting ahead of everybody, and, you know, it gave him a good team. Yeah, his, uh, his last pick... Um... Looks like it was in the 18th round with Royce Lewis, uh, surrounded by some keepers. Uh, the pick before that was AJ Minter in the 15th, um, and Julio Orias in the 14th. So he ostensibly uh, ended his draft in the 12th, 12th round, stole Julio Urias from me in the 14th round, and then just kept some sweet players. Yeah, I, uh, that's that's exactly what it looks like to me. Um, where where do you see Max uh, finishing uh, going into kind of the end of the year? Top third. I, the Stanton injury sucks, but it's not terrible. I think I think we'll see more from Giancarlo Stanton, of course. He's got a really good team. I think it's one of the four best. Yep, agreed. Um, all right, now to the newest member of uh, the Players League. Um, and I, I got an explanation on what exactly his team means at uh, his team name means at the draft, Quantum Sticks. Um, so, Andrew Weeks, we're very excited to have you in the league. Um, it seems already like you've uh, put your best foot forward with, with the draft. And uh, your team's off to a strong start, so maybe now you get to hear what Marner thinks of your team. Yeah, Weeks actually took some players that I really wanted. He stole a couple people from me, uh, and so you know, right now I'm kind of coming out of the draft. I was just kind of cursing the fucking new guy as I, as I smoked cigarettes around the pool. I think he did a really good job. I think for somebody trying to step into this league, it is. I can only imagine because when when you and I joined. It was a lot of work, but it wasn't as complex as it is now. You've had a much more, uh, maybe not much more dedicated, but like I think we've gotten to a point where we're, we're fine-tuning very hyper-specific things, and I think he, he did his absolute best, a Herculean effort to wrap his head around all that, and he, and he produced a quality team. Considering where he's coming from, uh, he's just getting to know some of these players and the intricacies of our league. I think he did a great job. Plays best, best foot forward, as you said. I, 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 think, I think to your point, I remember joining the league uh, five years ago, this is my sixth year now, uh, and certainly not even, I don't think I did a ton of draft preparation uh, at all. I think I, I remember creating my first spreadsheet the morning of the draft in Atlantic City being like, oh shit, I actually need to figure out what I'm doing here. Um, and the league was infinitely less complex uh, at that point. So I, I can completely um, agree with your sentiment there that it, it must be a Herculean kind of mountain to climb uh, to kind of get get into all the nits nitty gritty aspects of our league, uh, and I think that Weeks has certainly done a fantastic job doing that. 
Yeah, and I think any criticisms that have of this team, it's just it's just from things because he's not used to the, some of the intricacies of the league. So, you know, any player I would kind of slam, like I think he got Buster Posey early, but like, okay, you're supposed to get a good catcher. Like, a, a lot of the players that disagree with it's just probably because maybe Weeks was favoring something like average instead of OBP, or maybe he reached on a position that I don't agree with. But generally speaking, he put himself together a really good squad, and he actually had not that he had a good set of keepers. They're not great. They're not terrible. They're fine. And he has one of the best keepers in Aaron Judge. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I, I actually expect to see big things from weeks to come because I think he did a great job with this first draft. And he took Max, which is who I wanted. Where, where do you, um, where do you position weeks at the end of the season? You know, I think he'll come with a mid table finish. Uh, so he just, the keepers, like I said, they're not good. They're not, they're not great. They're not bad, but they're not going to keep up with some of the, the front runners. Um, I think he did a good job of amassing certain types of talent. He got a lot of runs and stolen base type players, um, which should help him, you know, solidify at least some offensive categories being near the top. I think it's a mid-tier team. I think that's pretty fair. Um, do you have a least favorite on his uh, draft board aside from, uh, I know you mentioned Buster Posey? That's my least favorite. That's uh, your least yeah. favorite. Got it. All right. Um, well, hopefully this isn't awkward at all, but um, let's walk through my team uh, and kind of your assessment on my draft, and I'll do my best not to um, interrupt you or rebuttal. Uh, I, I want the floor to be yours. That's big of you. I really appreciate that. You got a number of players that I like. Um, I will start off with the bad, and then I'll try and pair it with immediate good. I thought Goldschmidt was a reach, but we've covered that, and I actually liked your explanation. You got... Okay, I can only imagine the Lindor ownership has been a bit roller coastery because... I thought when you got him on draft day, it was a great price. And then as we left the draft, I thought it was like a phenomenal price. And now the injury is kind of, we don't know where it's at. It got worse. It got better. It got worse. So TBD, but the fact that you have Goldschmidt and Lindor, like you could have taken those players in the other order. Uh, so it kind of worked out for me. Yeah, I, I got you there. Uh, and I agree. I think the Lindor ownership has been a um, an interesting one. Uh, just... As I thought that the news of him actually recovering was pretty close to um, maybe a minimal stay on the injured list and then starting with the team maybe a week or two later. Um, certainly the high ankle sprain that uh, that he suffered a couple days after the draft has been a, a setback, but I'm still optimistic on Lindor. The one thing I wanted to really highlight about your team, and this is something I said both in that discussion in Phoenix after the draft, just looking at the board, and I've actually said it since, I really loved the way you approached how you put together your outfield. I think it was very cheaply done, but I don't mean that with any negative connotation. Andrew McCutcheon is someone I was very high on. I thought you got him at a great price in the fifth round. And then rounding it out with people like Adam Eaton, I know that this is going to sound probably pretty homery. I think you reached on him in the sixth. I probably would have taken him there, too. I, I like him as a player a lot and his potential, um, which is an all-star right fielder. Uh, and, and then getting some combination of production out of Brandon Nimmo and, and Piscotti is what you're looking at heading into the season. But you also have some exciting ones coming off uh, from the prospect angle, like Kirilov, Adele, um, Kepler. Obviously, not all of them will get time this season. But you did it cheaply, but I really liked how the, the outfield came together ultimately. Yep. And I also got uh, Wit in the outfield if I ever need to uh... – throw him in there because he also has the second base outfield eligibility. It's a dangerous combo. Yep. Um, all right, well, maybe just do a, uh, a least favorite pick on, on my team. Yeah, sure. I, the Goldschmidt pick was a reach. Um, I was trying to, to come up with something a little a little better. You probably... 
this is kind of a lame pick. Tukey Toussaint, I, I think that was a reach. It's, you know, saying your least favorite pick was the 12th round is kind of a cop-out, but I just I think you're over-forecasting his playing time. Um, but a lot of your, your early-round picks, I think it's just because they're players that I liked. Ones that I could see others arguing were reaches, I would have probably also reached on. Yep, that's fair. Um, and given that Tukey was sent down a few days after the draft, um, looking at my draft board right now, I'd say that's one of my least favorite picks as well. Um, yeah. All right, moving moving on to uh, your fellow DC resident uh, and also probably one of the longest standing members of the league, uh, ex-commissioner, certainly um, someone that we all revere and respect uh, and think very high lo- highly of in terms of their baseball abilities, uh, the association, Mr. Chris Hannafin. You know, I, I have to tell a bit of a side story really quick. Please do. I was just having this conversation earlier today with Kelsey. Um, she has been frantically uh, re-watching the entire Game of Thrones series. And the, the reason I say she is because uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm unashamed to admit I am not a fan of Game of Thrones, but I, you know, I take in a lot of it just through background noise. While she watches Game of Thrones, I'm usually just looking at baseball stuff, which works out great for me. So we were just having this conversation. I, I, one of the things I always pick up on is when they introduce someone important, they just get this fucking turbo-long title, just like protector of this, defender of that. You just gave that to Chris, and there's really no one more fitting for such a, for such a title in, in these parts than Mr. Hannafin. So I actually thought about that as I was saying it, and I actually had the same connection. It literally felt like introducing Daenerys Targaryen to Jon Snow. It was like... That, that's really what that felt like, and I, I agree. I think Hannafin is every bit deserving. Absolutely. Um, so how do we feel about his draft? I, so let's, let's start off with the bad because it's right at the top. I did think Arenado at two was a reach. I do. Um, I had Arenado lower on my board, something closer to maybe six or seven um, after those first five, and so I, I wasn't thrilled with that. However... Chris knows what he's doing. I don't want to, I don't want to come on too thick. He did. He followed it up with a number of picks that I really like. Chucky Morton in the fifth, I was pretty thrilled with. That that's the type of player that I would have been um, pretty happy to get in the fifth, um, and I ended up just settling for a catcher there, uh, as it were. Um, his team. He's got a competitive team. He always does, and he always will. Um, and the fact that all of his keepers, he does have five who I think are, are pretty strong outside of well. Shohei, obviously, uh, more so in the future, but they're all brand-name players. German Marquez, I'm incredibly high on. I think he's got a solid squad. Yep, I think that's uh, I think that's totally fair. Um, I think the Arenado uh, criticism certainly rings a little bit truer right now, given how weak the Colorado offense looks to start the season. But I think we, we have to wait and see what happens back at Coors Field. Um, you never know. I think that, that stadium can and probably will lead to... Um, a pretty high home run and RBI total for Arenado, so uh, I think with, at the at the very least he's padding his counting stats there. With with Story and um, Murphy hopefully anchoring my roster, um, I imagine I'm bank I, I am banking on a similar thing, and I imagine he is hoping for even more out of their superstar Nolan Arenado. Uh, give me a quick second on Mr. Uh, Eddie Rosario because I think that was one of my favorite picks for for Hannafin. I, I I just knew I wasn't I didn't have a pick right around that area. Um, and as Eddie Rosario owner last year, uh, and someone that saw him kind of tear it up with uh, throughout the summer, uh, he was a definitely a team favorite of mine. Uh, maybe spend a second on that. Yeah, absolutely. I actually want to spend a second on not just Eddie Rosario, but the couplings of the first and second pick, and then the third and the fourth. I was ripping on Nola 
but I think it's funny that he, or Nolan, excuse me, but I think it's funny that he's paired with Rendon given the conversation we had earlier. And then his third and fourth round picks are, are also kind of linked in my mind because George Springer, I think, was a bad pick. Eddie Rosario, I'm totally with you. I think Springer is almost kind of overspending on the name and ignoring the production. And Eddie Rosario, I think, is one of the most underheralded players in the fantasy universe. I love where he got him. He is a, a reliable contributor, and I think it's a strong pick in the fourth round, especially for a bat. An outfield bat, no less. Yep. I am 100% with you there. Um, all right, where do we put uh, Hannafin's team uh, at the end of the season? Always a threat. I think this... Always a threat. Okay. All right, very uh, very interesting answer. Um, all right, now moving on, and I'll give him a little bit of, a, of an intro just because he is the defending champion, uh, Mr. Todd Saunders of the Cucumbas, or I guess now he is retitling the them to the Cumbies. Um so, similar situation to uh, Chris, where he did shell out a lot of draft capital in order to make the push last year. Uh, unlike Chris, he actually had a draft pick in the first 10 rounds, uh, and I think he, he made a very interesting pick there in the fourth, um, with the first pick overall of the fourth round. But uh, take a second and walk us through Todd's team. Yeah, it's, um, it's the same analysis on the first pick as I gave Chris Crisali in this instance. Um, it's a reach. I, Adalberto Mondesi was someone I was low on. I think some people would have made the argument that he could have gone higher. I, I, don't, I was not a believer. However, however, having said that, what he is capable of producing is incredibly valuable in our league. And if he does pan out, even from that pick, Todd has an incredibly valuable asset that he can immediately trade away for probably a pretty good price. Yep. So, reach, but I love the strategy. I think, thing, I, I think Chris's draft overall I liked a little more, but Todd got a lot of players I'm really excited about. Outside of Mondesi, Danny Jansen is probably my favorite. So I'd say my, my least favorite part of uh, this podcast, and maybe you overall, is the way that you pronounce Adalberto Mondesi, or however you pronounce it, it's... Uh, I, I don't know why you, you say it that way, but that's it's pretty funny to me. I've consistently caught a lot of flack for my, my name pronunciations. I think I lean in a little more than some of the other members of our league, but okay. I'm doing the best I can. I, I think that that's, that's totally fine. Um, it, it's, it's interesting that you know it and, and lean in, so by, by all means. Um, all right, give me, uh, give me your take on Mr. Carter Keyboom, uh, as that was someone that I know you probably had on your radar as a Nats fan. Um, and just in terms of names, that's that's a pretty spectacular one. Absolutely. It's as good as they come. I'm super high on the guy. He is ascending, uh, I would say, almost on, a, on a, a shockingly identical trajectory as Soto in terms of how he's climbing through the minors, um, just like a fucking bat out of hell. Um, I'm very high on Carter. I knew I wouldn't get him. I was only willing to spend one of my late 20s rounds picks on, 20s round picks on, on a minor leaguer, so... He, he was, it was never meant to be for me. Obviously, love seeing Todd investing in the shortstop position for the Nationals' future. Again, um, I think he could maybe even see some time at second base, uh, you know, in the majors sooner than a lot of people think. So, I'm, I love the pick. 18 is steep for me, not for Todd, because obviously he's building for the future. But honestly, Todd can get a lot of production out of some of these players that he got. I, I was more, more uh, hyped up for Chris's, but Todd did a very great job here. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, Carter Keyboom actually was one uh, one name that I, I knew about, but it shot up my my list in terms of minor leaguers 
um, when he had the two home runs off Justin Verlander in spring training a couple weeks before draft. Um, and I was hoping because it was spring training, it kind of went uh, under the radar. Um, but I, I'm not sure that it did. Uh, certainly, Carter Keyboom is going to be an exciting player, I think, in the uh, in the future. I, I've had a conversation. I've had a lot of conversations with Todd um, in the off season, and I, I my takeaway on his team and looking at it now, I, I I'd say that there's a um, you know Todd might do what what Todd does and potentially sell his team at some point for uh, for draft capital and keepers, which by all means he can and and should if he wants to do that. I think the um, there is potential for his team to actually be a, a surprisingly good team, uh, given all of his keepers uh, and how good they are uh, and the, the draft that he had. I agree and disagree. I think there is some real talent here. I think uh, Javi Baez in the seventh is great, but I think he's scheduled to fall off a, at least a mini cliff. Um, you didn't explicitly ask me my least favorite player on, on Todd's team. I I'm do not done that. You, do, do, do your, uh, hey, do your least favorite player on Todd's team. My least favorite player on Todd's team is Greg Bird because Greg Bird is a pathetic loser. Um, <laughs> other than that, I like most of his team. All right, that's fair. Uh, I think also the the conversations that we had were when uh, when Mookie was still on the team. So maybe maybe with that, the the team looks a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, I think the I think the, the rebuilding combi- combis will be an interesting team to watch this year. All right. Um, Let's go with uh with also ex commissioner, uh, Mr. Sean Haywood of the uh, Moke Murkers. Um, you you mentioned that you were hoping that Manny Machado fell to you, or I guess you were surprised that he fell as far as he did, um, and fell right into Sean's lap. But uh, take us through his draft. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Manny Machado. I think you know for someone missing a first round pick, he got a first round player. Manny Machado in no baseball league should make it past the first round. I understand. Ours is different, blah, blah, blah. But with keepers taking taken account for, I should have taken him. Everybody should have taken taken him before. Not everybody, but... Why, why didn't you take him? You had, you had the pick right before. I, I did. Um, you I took did Freddie him. Freeman. You, you, you mentioned that you... Earlier. Yeah, you, you should have gotten... And it freaked me out because I, I wanted to get one of those first basemen. So I saw Goldschmidt go early. I was like, oh, shit, I should grab Freddie Freeman. But then seeing Rizzo come around in the second, that's what really made me regret it. I could have ended up with Manny Machado in my utility spot and Rizzo in my first base. And I think Manny is better than Freeman. I'm saying it. I, I picked the worst player, but I wanted to fill a position of beat. It's very high of you to, to admit a, a mistake of yours. Absolutely. Uh, it was a mistake. And uh, I had kept two short stops. I just let positions get in my mind and cl- clouded me up a little but. Sean walks away with a, a, probably the best second round pick, obviously, for the first round, the first pick of that round. But, like, that's a very impressive pick for our league, especially when you consider keepers. The worst pick, got to be Kyle Schwarber in the fifth. Um, I, I like Kyle Schwarber enough. I thought that was a reach. I think it's a homer reach. But, hey, what is fantasy baseball for if not picking your favorite players? Uh, I'm with you. Uh, I think... I I think the the pitching that he took early um, were pitchers that I was fading, uh, but thus far uh, have had pretty decent starts of the year with between Chris Archer and Mad Bum. Uh, I don't think I think Mad Bum got a bit lucky in his last start. I think I was looking at his line. He gave up a a grand slam, but yet somehow ended with five runs, but zero of them earned. I believe it was because he actually had an error throwing to first base or fielding a ball. Um, and in my mind, if the error is on the pitcher. Uh, and that's what leads to unearned runs. I think that that's unfair, and that should lead to earned un- runs because that's technically your fault. 
uh, but here we are. Um, I think Domingo Santana is, 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 is so far turning into one of his highest upside picks. I, I love that pick in the 11th round, uh, and he's off to a hot start. Quick, quick aside, I've, I've mentioned this kind of ad hoc to a couple people. That's not a plug for Todd's company. That's the actual <laughs> ad hoc. I've mentioned this ad hoc to a couple people. Um, I think it would be so fun if somehow pitch slaps, so when a, when a National League pitcher hits a home run against a pitcher, obviously throwing him the ball, you should get some reward for that. I know we can't implement that, but it's the one thing that I wish we could just kind of go off the script about and say, like, you get, like, I don't know, one run off the ERA for that game. I don't know. It just seems like it deserves something. All right, everybody. Uh, apologies. We actually ran into the maximum amount of time on the app that allowed us to uh, record. So we are picking it back up. Um, Marner was just telling us what he uh, what he thought would be helpful in terms of uh, a fun little reward for pitchers that actually get to hit home runs. Yeah, certainly maybe not helpful from a logistical standpoint, but I was, we were talking about Mad Bum and runs getting blasted. Anyway, it made me think of this little idea where it would be fun to have pitch slaps somehow rewarded in the standings and it would be something pretty goofy like maybe a run getting knocked off of, of the pitcher the starting pitcher's era that evening but what got me thinking about this most recently was my very own zach Granke, another pick to ride it after the draft um not only hurling a 12 strikeout effort but also hitting two home runs in one game and i just you know he did allow a couple in return and i just thought it, it seems fair to give him a mediocre quality start outside of the 10 strikeouts when he had been so productive that evening. I think that's totally fair. Um, all right, so to wrap up with uh, with Sean's team, what do you think about uh, Yo Cespedes at round 22 now that he's actually uh, trying to sell him off uh, for parts? Yeah, get, getting um, back on Sean's team, two things I want to point out. So Cespedes I thought was a great steal. I thought he caught us all asleep at the wheel there. Um, he just doesn't have a player that good, and that with that much talent it's not this isn't a prospect we're talking about we're talking about the fucking cuban missile crisis i thought that was an awesome pick um and shopping him uh, maybe he's doing it a little early as you said but i you know it's certainly that what you're what you're buying there is certainly easy to visualize yeah Uh, another another positive thing i'd say about sean's team uh i think he did well with his relief pitching um something you mentioned earlier uh david robertson not exactly painting out but i did actually have him pretty high on my board um, but backed up with Archie Bradley, Brandon Moore, who mentioned earlier in this very podcast, I thought the the star of the role as Chapman, backed up by those other cheaper guys, was a great approach. And what do you, what do you think is your uh, your least favorite pick from this draft? My least favorite pick, I thought Stephen Matz in the eleventh was a pretty bad one. I'm very low on Stephen Matz. I thought keeping Robbie Ray in the ninth is a very ballsy pick. I guess it's tough to ever kind of conclusively say which way Robbie Ray is going to go, but. Um, he's a risky option which is why I actually traded out of him to begin with yeah I think that's totally fair when uh Sean and I were were discussing um various iterations of uh of potential trades in the offseason that never came to fruition um I just assumed that Robbie Ray wasn't really a keeper option and I actually uh Sean will remember this. We were uh, chatting one time at work, and I, I created a little Excel for him to look at in terms of trying to position my uh, my my argument. And um, I, I was showing him the relative keeper values uh, in terms of like actual value that they were getting. And I think for Robbie Ray, I wrote something like bad keeper, uh, and he laughed and ended up keeping him anyway. 
Um, so anyway, where do you see uh, Sean finishing uh, the the year? This is um, this is a good squad for Sean. I do think. I thought. Oh man, Trey Turner. I that's a killer injury, but arguably one of the most exciting players, one of the most electrifying athletes in sports entertainment in the modern day game. Uh, seeing him go down early really hurts his chances. Yeah, I think he's I, capable. I agree. He's going to have to maneuver, but that's a tremendous injury to overcome. So, middle half, bottom, middle third, bottom third? Somewhere in the middle there. Somewhere in the middle. I think he did put together a good team, and the Machado pick is a great way to start it off. But, again, Schwarber high, and there's some other players I thought went a little high on his team. Uh, and then coupled with the Turner injury, I think he's got an uphill battle here. All right. And he, and he was missing a first-round pick, too. Totally fair. Um, all right, moving on to uh, someone who actually, as we talked about, it's it's interesting that we're going with Wilson Lass and the Splinter Kids um, because I think we talked a little bit about um, kind of the ripple effects of people getting taken early and kind of unexpected strategies being shifted. I think Wilson may have very well been the kind of the match that lit the fire with uh, when he had to switch his keeper in the 11th hour in Scooter Jeanette and ended up keeping Corey Kluber in the third round. I think that thinned out an already relatively um, shallow pool of uh, kind of aces or I guess starting like starter ones. Um, and I think that that allowed for some, uh, some, some weird things to happen early in the draft. Uh, so walk us through Wilson's team. Certainly. I think um, Christian Yelich in the seventh. Is, is right now even looking like a great pick. I thought that was the right pick to make. I like the pick, so he started it off well. I think Wilson, let's touch on the, the last-minute keeper swap first. That's a subject I gave probably more thought to than anyone, only because I was prepared to keep Corey, Corey Kluber myself in the third the third round um, heading into this season. If it was going to be my stud keeper, I think it's only one round of value, but he's still a great starting pitcher. Um I would have kept him already over someone like Carpenter in the sixth or maybe even Justin Turner in the 14th. Um, so the fact that he's getting to keep him, I think, is great. The fact that he lost to Jeanette obviously kind of sucks. Um, but in the end, I don't think it's a bad swap to make. Wilson's a guy who likes to stick to some of these to some of his player guns. I see him own a lot of the same players over and over um, sometimes. Uh, Steven Strasburg is someone who he's owned before. I'm not sure whether he's owned Roberto Ozuna before. Um, I'm hoping that he has, and this is just a case where he's sticking to his guns. I thought him in the fifth round was an objectively bad pick. I agree, but I'm eating my salad, so keep talking. Happily. Um, I, I think that Wilson does have a strong group of keepers. Chucky Blackman is an incredibly valuable player in our league, probably higher than in a lot of more traditional leagues. He, uh, towards the end of the draft, one pick that he sniped for me, I wanted Andrew Miller, uh, where he got him. I kind of waited through all of these missed rounds of picks, and I was hoping to come out of that desert to get Andrew Miller. Um, he got him, and so far he's kind of been a little bit of a buster, so much as a bust in the 22nd round can be. Uh, so maybe he spared me that bullet, but I really did like that pick in, in real time. Yep, I agree. I think he had a lot of picks that um, I also was targeting. I think um, I agree that Osuna was a bit of a reach, uh, but there were three guys that I liked that he took basically a round or two ahead of where I was ready to take them. But Luke Weaver I like as a bounce-back candidate in the 13th round. I think that's a pretty decent price there. 
Uh, Jesse Winker in an OBP league, just as a cheap outfielder that's going to get you a pretty high OBP, I think is great. And I think everyone knows how much I like Josh Bell. Uh, I liked him so much last year that I dropped him. Uh, but he's he certainly was one of those names that as you listen to, or for anyone that listened to podcasts, was one of the biggest uh, bounce back candidates as well. So a, a couple names there that I, I would have uh, would have chosen myself as well. Yeah, an old friend of mine, Marco Gonzalez, I got a lot of useful innings out of him last year. And then also, I'm glad you brought up Luke Weaver. Not only do I like him as a bounce-back candidate, but now he has the humidor. Yeah. So how can he fail? <laughs> that was that was my thought. How could you possibly fail in the uh, in the humidor? Uh, as someone that had Patrick Corbin there last year, I'm, I'm sure there was some uh, some benefit for me there. Um, but anyway, so let's uh, let's go through, I guess, your least favorite pick uh, on Wilson's team and where you expect him to finish. Roberto Zuna, it, it was one of, I think, the worst picks in the draft. That's not to say it taints Wilson's draft as a whole. Not at all. I can name a lot of players I like. But that one, I, I actually am borderline thinking it might have been a mistake. And Wilson's the kind of guy that would own up to it if it was. So maybe he'll, maybe he'll respond to that question. Um, but on the whole... I think Wilson has a fine team. I would say mid mid upper tier. Mid upper tier, so say four through six range. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that's that's the draft review. Um, very happy to have someone as eloquent and uh, as knowledgeable as you, kind of walking through the draft. I think you've painted a very uh, very interesting picture of each team. Um, and I, I told you at the beginning uh, of the of the episode or before we were talking, um, that I had a little, um, you know, I didn't want to walk through the entire agenda with you because there was something that uh, I thought might be a fun little thing to have at the end of our episodes. Um, sure. It's something that I call uh, Puff Puff Pass. Um, and there's, I wanted you to have a joint on you. So the idea will be that for those of us that partake in, uh, in, in the enjoyment of smoking, uh, they this would be the time where we take a hit together uh and we do something called puff puff pass where i give you three questions uh you have to puff puff on two of them and you can pass on one um basically basically a way for me to uh kind of get you to talk about some things that um might be interesting for the rest of the audience to hear uh i kept them relatively uh non too um not too difficult for you because you are the the first uh, participant on the uh, Cruising Down the Boulevard podcast, and I, I don't want to completely throw you for a loop. Uh, this is a complete surprise. Um, so why don't we go ahead and uh, and take a hit, and then we'll go ahead with uh, the first ever Puff Puff Pass. I wanted to let you get through that. You could hear me just jumping with excitement. This is a phenomenal idea. I can echo that. I had no idea this was coming. I have. I, you did tell me to have a joint ready, so I do have my joint ready. I'm going to light that now. All right, let's do it. I actually I thought about it on the way to lunch today I was like all right it's time to start preparing for the podcast I've thought about some I, I think in the off season I've had some uh, various ideas about what what would be fun additions um, and the more that I can find these kind of clever little uh, games to play throughout the podcast I will try to incorporate them as much as I can uh, very happy to have you on here with me to do the first one. So with the first puff puff pass, I'm going to give you the three questions 
and you tell me which two you're going to answer and which one you're going to pass on. One of the questions I will put a caveat in because you basically answered it in the last um, in the last team review. But the three questions are: Who finishes last in the league? Who was the worst pick of the draft overall? And now we're going to remove Roberto Osuna from that because I, I don't want you to have that easy cop out. Sure. And three. Tell us truthfully how worried you are about Chris Sale because that was a pick that you jumped forward in the first round to take, and he does not look very good. Uh, I know Sam will defend his honor till his death, but his velocity doesn't look good. His strikeouts don't look good, and so far he's got banged around. And even if Sam um, kind of is accurate in his assessment that the Sox are just holding him back, uh, for you as a fantasy owner, that's a little tough. Yeah. Um, so how about I, I, I'll, I'll even do this the fair way. I'll just pass on the second pick because I already answered it. I'll Great. answer the other two um, because I really do. I even I, and we, you and I had a conversation about how fickle memory is, but I really do remember me pointing to Roberto Zuno and say, I, I think this is my worst, worst or my least favorite pick of the draft. So I, I'd like to lock that in. <laughs> okay. I, no, I, I generally like Wilson's draft approach. I think he drafts very well. That one pick just didn't sit well with me. Yep. Anywho. The other two questions. So you're giving me who finishes last in the league and how worried am I about Chris Sale? Well, truthfully. Rather, truthfully, how worried are you? Yeah, truthfully. No, I'll give you the honest answer. So I would like to answer that one second because I want to end with talking about myself. Uh, who will come in last place? I think you're putting me on the spot here. This is what I'd like to say. I think that it would be an easy thing to say that Chris comes in last place. I genuinely think that Chris can outmaneuver Todd and, and pass him. So I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not committing to a last place team, but I hope that the take that I've just given you is, is spicy enough to suffice as an answer. I think Chris can outmaneuver Todd after Todd outmaneuvered him. So maybe not the sweetest of, of vengeance meals, but... But a vengeance meal nonetheless. I think he can finish better than Todd if he wants to. I, I'm envisioning, and I hope this happens, a similarly close race at the bottom of the league where I send out that, that email that shows the kind of the line graphs of everyone as they pr go throughout the season. Uh, and I've told Chris and Todd this, that watching them fight for first place at the very top of the league with no one else even close uh, and having it come down to the wire was such an exciting part of the 2018 season that I hope people realize uh, is so unique given kind of the the statistical outcomes that can happen. Like, that's just so rare. And I just want to make sure that we uh, we take a second and acknowledge that. But if, if we got to see that same exact race but at the bottom of the league this year, I think that would be just true beauty of, of baseball. I, I appreciate the slimmest of margins nature to Todd's victory. I even use it to justify when I'm not paying attention to something that I should and I'm checking my fantasy baseball lineup and Kelsey's giving me shit. Oh, hey, you know, do something else. I'll always remind her, hey, I got to set this lineup because last year I explained it to her. I broke it down. I was like, this league can come down. If you're going camping, I set my lineup ahead of time. Like missing that, those couple starts, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, I'm 100% I'm with you. Um, and, and, it, it is amazing that that's how it ended, and that's basically all it took. Uh, but yeah, I'm 100% I'm with you. 
So you you you're you're, you're basically saying it's Todd and Chris in a in a race. Yeah, I wanted to start. Yeah, it, it's you just it would be so tough to point to any other team um, outside of theirs just because of draft capital. Like those were those two are missing so much that on paper this early in the year it has to be one of them for me. And I, I hope to have provided a spicy take there. So I, I guess informally I'm saying that Todd will come in last place. Okay, why informally? Just because I, I think it's a it's a hot take. I think he has a better team than Chris on paper, but I think Chris can out outmaneuver him. All right, spicy, spicy. Uh, so, all right, you know, I could easily see Todd shipping off some of those good players early on. We'll see. We'll see. Todd's always got his bag of tricks. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Um, all right, now on to the uh, Chris Sale. Chris Sale. It's it's not great, Roma. Let me tell you right here. It's not, it's not great. Uh, so. I mean, you can hear it. You can hear it in my voice. It, I'm not feeling great about it. I I have been trying to. I've almost been. I know it's not almost. I need to admit I have a problem. I am manufacturing favorable Google results. I'm just typing in like Chris Sale takes a long time to warm up. Chris Sale, you know, ramps up velocity, you know, after two really not great starts. It's not great. Yep. I am not in a. Here's what I can say. If that's the ship I'm going to go down on, I went down swinging. Like, I, I don't like drafting pitching high, and I made sure to do it this year because, oh, not enough aces in the MLB. And for a quality starts league, I thought that was a threat. And, God, he is making me regret that so much. Yeah. No, I am I, – I appreciate the honesty of that answer because I think the um... – as as someone that has had uh, first round picks kind of go against them uh, in the past, and in some someone like Donaldson last year, um, it's looking at that pick, and if if that doesn't pan out to uh, kind of a eighty or ninety percent of what you expect, uh, that that's a that's a painful part of the the draft. And and to be honest, this is a it's a pertinent subject to end on because I think we alluded to this earlier, but. You and I, I think, have radically different approaches to how we value both parts of pitching in this league, uh, and maybe your side ends up coming out ahead this year, given the, you know, uh, the the drought in in long innings and things like that. I think you do have the best pitching staff, and so maybe I'll I'll really be eating crow by the end of the year because I didn't invest uh, in enough reliable pitchers. Yeah. Chris Sale did have a question mark, like no matter how much I convinced myself it was a tiny question mark, like I would be lying if I said that Chris Sale is just a, he's not the same checkbox that checkbox, excuse me, you can see I'm hungry, checkbox that Max Scherzer is. I, I 100% agree with that. Um, and I can certainly hope for what you just said to be exactly right as well. Um, although the, the, again, small sample sizes, but right now looking at my team and it's, um, I think I had a six ERA and like a one six whip um, at some point in the last couple of days, uh, it certainly does not look like that, that strategy is working out as expected, uh, hoping that some of that mean reverts and kind of works in the other direction, but I'm, I am 100% with you. I will continue to watch the, uh, the Chris Dale starts, um, and I'm sure that Protzman will have, uh, things to say about it as well. So I'm sure it'll be a topic of conversation, um, hopefully for you only for the first couple of weeks, um, until he turns it around and kind of gets up into the high 90s, mid 90s, and not this uh, 90, 91 stuff. Uh, but certainly a, a fun storyline to, to start thinking about into uh, into the uh, actual baseball season, which I am extremely excited for. 
you and me both, brother. I couldn't be more excited. I'm really glad we took some time to make this podcast. I think it was a good first step, and I look forward, hopefully, to even more participation than last year in the production of these moving forward. Love it. All right, well, good chatting with you, Dan. Uh, we'll, I'll let you go, and uh, speak soon. Have a good one, Roma. See ya.